Welcome to the Daily Kofefi on Unsafe Space. Today is, what, Wednesday, February 26th. I'm your host, Carter Laren, and I am not joined by Carrie today. She had some tech issues, which I asked her to go sort out. So she's working on that, and hopefully her tech issues will subside a little bit. Uh, we are going to start making some changes to Kofefi, but I won't announce that now. But don't worry, the change is not going to be that it's going to be me talking at you. It will still be Carrie. Uh, and and uh, we'll, we'll announce those later. But I didn't want to not have a Kofefi today just because Carrie's uh, just because of Carrie's tech issues. So we're going to have a relatively short one. I'm going to talk about just a couple things, predominantly the debates which were on my mind from last night. I I can't believe I watched the debates. <laughs> what a what a mistake. Um, anyway, uh, thank you for. For liking and subscribing, please continue to do so. If you want to support us, you can go to subscribestar.com and look for Unsafe Space. And uh, welcome to all the new viewers. We've had a lot a lot of new viewers. Speaking of new viewers from the knitting and other communities, uh, the yesterday Carrie and I showed the candles that Wombat of Doom sent us, but she, she got them from another person in the community, and I was reluctant to say this person's name because I didn't want to out them as being associated with this in any way. But uh, she, Kristen, I guess Kristen or Christine, I'm not actually sure how to pronounce it. Uh, I would guess Christine, Christine Keller, who runs Stormy Blue Candlery. She's the one that came up with these Kofefi candles with the scent. It smells like winning is what it says. So um, thank you, Stormy Blue and Wombat of Doom. And maybe Stormy Blue, maybe people will... Go get more Kofefi candles. It's a good idea. Her, let's see, does she have a URL? Yes, stormyblue.etsy.com. So you can go to go to Stormy Blue and get some Kofefi candles if you want to. No, we're not getting paid for that. We just like these people because they like us and they've supported us and we like the candles. So a couple quick things today. One, I released a video yesterday with a friend of the family. Uh, we had a friend from China talk about the coronavirus and I just wanted to mention when we filmed the video, I was actually less concerned about the coronavirus than I am now. I'm not super concerned. I think it's unlikely that anything will happen, but just I just want to share with you, we are taking as a family, we're taking personal precautions. We are, uh, we've got a huge stash of masks. We have a couple months worth of food. We're gonna, st- we're starting to be more careful about going out. Is it likely that these measures will be necessary? No. But I do want to read something from the New York Times covering this that came out yesterday from the CDC. They said, by the way, I know it's the New York Times, but I I don't think they're going to be lying about quotes from the CDC. So here we go. Quote, it's not so much of a question of if this will happen in this country anymore, but a question of when this will happen, said Dr. Nancy Messonnier, director of the National Center for Immunization and Respiratory Diseases. She said that public health officials have no idea whether the spread of the disease to the United States would be mild or severe, but that Americans should be ready for a significant disruption to their daily lives. The Secretary of Health and Human Service delivered an equally sobering message on Tuesday. The Secretary Alex M. Azar II told the Senate committee, quote, this is an unprecedented, potentially severe health challenge globally. So I don't want to do a lot of scaring about it, but you can watch the video that I had 
yesterday about the coronavirus, and but I, I didn't want to make it seem like it wasn't a big deal. We are taking it seriously, and uh, it doesn't hurt to take it seriously. So, so go ahead, take it seriously, and keep yourself healthy and safe. Okay. Ah, these debates. I can't believe I watched. I really can't believe I watched these debates. I wasn't going to watch the debates, and then Mikey Harlow, like. I think he said something on Facebook about watching the debates, and I happened to see that he was mentioning them, and I realized that then I was like, oh, crap, maybe I should watch them. What a mistake that was. Uh, I'm not going to go through the details of the debates. I'm just going to kind of talk to you about my sentiments generally with the debates. First of all, if you didn't watch them, it's not worth watching. It was just a cacophony of craziness. I mean, it was to to the point of like, even I was sympathizing with Biden because he was like, is everyone just going to talk over each other? Like he was kind of, he was gentlemanly in that sense where he was trying to play by the rules, but also kind of clueless and, you know, didn't like other people kind of grew a pair and just jumped in realizing that this is the way the debate was going to go. Biden never really did that. He just kind of like, what the hell's going on? I'm trying to be polite and politeness wasn't really on the agenda. Uh the thing that I noticed mostly was they made, explicitly, they made basically every issue about race and even talked about it. I think it was Buttigieg, but it might have been someone else who said, everything is about race. They said, literally, everything is about race. Uh, everything from housing to jobs to criminality, healthcare, it's all about race. Everything's about race. Race is the, the underlying uh, problem, basically. And... You know, their assumption here was the social justice assumption. For those of you who are not sure of whether the Democratic Party has been infiltrated by intersectional ideology, you need only watch the debates. And you can see that their assumption is that systemic racism is the unquestioned answer to every ill of society, and every disparity is seen as proof of systematic oppression by white males. That's that's it. That's, that's the unspoken, although almost even explicit, assumption by which everyone is operating and basically their disagreements are in details of how to manage that and mitigate it and to response details it's not no one is saying you know i don't think systemic racism is everywhere and responsible for all these disparities and outcomes let's have a real discussion about what could help some uh, communities that are struggling rather than just blaming the patriarch the white male patriarchy which is basically they've all kind of accepted that it's that that's the that's the answer so and that's not that's new for democrats i mean i've not been a democrat uh ever so you know i'm i'm not uh i don't think that they they have changed some of their fundamental beliefs i think they've always been collectivists at heart but this particular strain of collectivism they have you know welcomed with open arms so you know that happened uh elizabeth warren lied about getting fired for being pregnant again you can look that up but she there's the records indicate that she uh resigned and that her resignation was begrudgingly accepted and that she actually had been approved for a second term as a teacher but she has this myth that she likes to tell because it works for her narrative about how when she was pregnant she didn't get not didn't get hired but didn't get hired for a second year because she was pregnant she was visibly pregnant and therefore she was discriminated against um it's just 
the fact the facts of the case or the other evidence contradicts this. So, but we're supposed to believe all women. So, I guess we're supposed to do that. The the uh, the, the only real policy thing I want to mention with respect to the debates is this healthcare crap. Uh, you know, there's a lot of pointing to Scandinavia and Canada as examples of countries or regions with universal health care coverage. And there's never any mention of the fact that when people who live in those regions have critical illnesses, often they end up coming to the United States for treatment. And the reason for that is often in these, I mean, I know someone who in Canada had cancer and the waiting list was way too long. They would have died. So they, they came to the U.S. to get treatment, which they had to pay for out of pocket. That's a downside. The upside is they got treatment in time, which they would not have under the Canadian system. This kind of stuff gets swept under the rug. And the other thing that gets swept under the rug is this idea that there seems to be this idea that medical innovation just happens magically. Like there's no, it just it'll just happen. Nothing that we do will affect medical innovation. Just kind of like how I talked about hidden costs yesterday with respect to Bernie. And the truth is that that let's just take pharmaceuticals for example. Pharmaceuticals have been increasingly developed in the United States. If you look at, I've got a chart here I'm looking that goes from 1971 to 2010, so it's not super recent, but you know covers a span of uh, 40 years. The percentage of headquarters uh, for countries that were basically developing new drugs rose from 31% in the U.S. from the in the 70s to 57% in the early 2000s, and it, I think it's continuing to rise. The innovation doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen naturally. So when companies want to develop drugs, first of all, all companies care about corporate taxes. So they will locate uh, in different areas depending on tax rates. So the idea that you just, hey, we should just tax corporations for blah, blah, blah. Well, what they're going to do, you know, you, you may be a government that thinks that you are in control of everything, but you're only in control of stuff within your borders. And there are other countries who are willing to have different tax structures. And America is particularly bad at corporate taxes. And so one of the reasons you see a lot of countries trying to have their headquarters elsewhere is because they're trying to get out from under oppressive taxes in the U.S. And so pharmaceutical companies are no different here. But there's an extra thing you need to think about with respect to drug development. Developing a drug takes billions of dollars and sometimes decades. It takes a long time. It, it takes, I think just the FDA process is somewhere around five to seven years. So developing a drug is a very intensive, uh, resource intensive, risky thing to do because you could spend all that money and not come up with something that passes muster. And so it's a, it's a very risky investment. It's a gamble to develop drugs. And so the reason that drugs are expensive is if you if you can't charge in the successes if you can't charge enough to make up for all of the investment then you're not going to bother making the investment the idea that you know drugs are expensive yes they're expensive and and people have this silly notion of like well it only costs $2 to make this bottle of pills why are you charging $200 for the bottle of pills well 
yes, now that you know what to put in the pills, how to put it in the pills, and you know that it works, it only costs $2 to manufacture. But getting there took billions of dollars, and companies need to recoup their costs to do that. Now, I recognize that we're not in a completely free market, and there are some... Uh, there's some cronyism and that kind of stuff happening. So I'm not suggesting that there's nothing wrong with the pharmaceutical industry. And certainly I'm not suggesting that there's nothing wrong with the healthcare industry. It's a mess. But the idea that companies just naturally develop these drugs, and if we if we start saying things like, well, you can't charge too much for these drugs, or we're going to socialize the drug, you're not going to have the patent, they're not going to bother investing. No one's going to put their money there. Your money, even if you're not into this kind of stuff, if you've got a 401k or any kind of money market account or you're saving for retirement, it's likely that part of your money is being used to make investment decisions about these kind of things, whether or not to invest in a particular pharmaceutical uh, companies based on what they're doing. And so the idea that we can just make drugs super cheap by fiat and raise taxes on people, and the, and the healthcare industry is not going to be affected. That the drugs will continue to come out uh, is a is a fallacy. It's false. It's a myth. It's a pipe dream, and it's it's a necessary pipe dream for socialists to pass all the different programs and subsidies and socialization of entire portions of the economy that they want to pass. I'm not going to get into an entire discussion about healthcare generally, but I did want to throw out that. There are some things that are being ignored, and this is what gets me, this kind of leads me to the last point that I want to make, and this is more of a personal point. I I came away from the debates, as I do most of these debates, just horribly disenchanted with politics in America, and uh, I was trying to think last night about why why I was so disenchanted. I mean, other than the obvious reasons that a bunch of buffoons on stage arguing with each other, not a lot of great choices ever for for any politician. There's, you know, I never find, I never understood people who like worship a particular politician. There's, there's never been a politician that's gotten me excited about their existence. I guess Ron Paul came the closest where I was like, that's, he's, a, he's pretty good, but he's never gonna win much. Um, anyway, I was thinking about, and, and I think really, Carrie has talked, it's a shame she's not here for this part, but 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 this is a bit of a monologue anyway. C- Carrie, Carrie has talked about shared goals, right? And, and this idea that, well, the people on the other side, we share a goal, we just want to argue about how to get there in many ways. And I agree that if you have shared goals, conversation can be, can be much easier and civil, and, and that will be ideal. However... I don't think we have, we're not a country of shared goals. There may be shared goals like a lot of people don't want racism and there's social justice warriors arguing that the way to end it is by being racist. And there's others arguing that let's stop being racist. You know, let's, let's try and not judge people on their skin color. Fine. They have a shared goal theoretically of, of no racism or ending racism although I'm suspect for a lot of the social justice warriors that that's actually their goal. But when it comes to one of the fundamental goals that I have in terms of politics, I realize that it's not a shared goal, and that's what's disenfranchising for me. Freedom is not a shared goal in America. There is a small and shrinking group of people in the United States who value freedom actual freedom as a goal politically. 
and none of those people are represented at the Democratic uh, on the Democratic side of the aisle, at least as evidenced through the debates. On the one hand, there are I'll use maybe an analogy of animals. On the one hand, that there's the the people who have freedom as a shared goal. They're kind of wild animals, but cooperative, and they might uh, they might disagree with each other, but they generally have this this goal of freedom. And the other side, there's I'm going to call most of the people, and I guess this is condescending, but I don't care. They're happy cattle. They they want to be part of a populist farm. That's their that's their goal. And let me explain. I'll try and do this in a simplified way because I could I know I can get loquacious. <clears throat> With freedom, right? The the individualist approach, the individualist mentality. You know, anyone who had a decent parent during their teenage years probably heard the phrase, "With freedom comes responsibility, young man or young lady." Right? This was I I heard this. With freedom comes responsibility. The the people who are freedom lovers, who have freedom as a goal, who are focused on individualism, this means that they want ownership over their own life, their own choices, their own property. They are willing to accept the responsibility for managing their life and their choices and their property, which means failure is a possibility. They're willing to accept that they may fail. They're also willing to give up on the idea of controlling other people, right? Other people also have ownership and responsibility for their own lives, and individualists are willing to let go and say, I want my freedom. You can have your freedom. I might not like what you're doing, but you're free to do it. In an environment like this, yeah, failure is possible. Success is basically unconstrained, and people interact voluntarily. There's a lot of people who will pay lip service to what I just said, who will say, oh, I like freedom, but they don't. They don't really like freedom because they don't actually advocate for and try and live by the outline that I just described. They want to stick their nose in other people's business all the time. They want to take rob other people's wallets or purses to, to pay for something that they want. And those people, along with the people who are explicit about this, those people are collectivist. And they are a growing number. They're probably the majority of the country at this point, which is why it's a little bit depressing to think about this. They're probably a majority of the country. They're collectivists. And they view society not as a bunch of kind of wild animals who uh, are willing to interact voluntarily, but each should be left alone. They view society as a resource farm that should be collectively managed. That's how they view society. And sometimes they even pay lip service to individualism. They'll say, well, you know, individuals should be allowed to make up their own mind with respect to X, Y, and Z, maybe what art they like or whether who they sleep with. But not about these other things. Not about uh, how they spend their money or what their wages they accept or what wages they pay. Uh, that's part of the responsibility of the collectively managed farm. The animal farm farm comes to mind when I think about this. But the collective or whoever... It's never actually the collective, right? It's whoever claims to speak for the collective. Under this model, they own your life, your property. They can make choices on your behalf. And there's usually some kind of state apparatus through voting or whatever that is presumed to speak for the collective. And your freedom to act, uh, your ownership over your own life or to own or make decisions uh, 
all of those freedoms, they're contingent upon the continued permission of the collective, and they can revoke that permission at any time. If they don't like, if the if the people decide that all or part of your productive labor labor should be redistributed to um, some other people for some other purpose that's in the quote public good or is collectively collectively important, you have no say. You have one vote, right? But in a country of 350 million people, that's equivalent to zero. You have no say, and so. Um, how this works is that the state or its representatives of the state, they're really just farmers, and you're happy being livestock. Um, they promise to keep you safe and feed you grain, and you promise to stay in your cage and obey and do what you're told and continue to produce milk or eggs or whatever it is you're, you're producing. Um, and you have no ability, you actually have no ability to enforce that they'll even keep their end of the bargain by keeping you safe or anything. All you can do is really hope and vote. And there is a large, and I would say probably a majority of our country, a majority of the population looks out at politics and they see a collective farm. That's how they view it. And if you watch the Democrat debate, that's Everything they're talking about is in those terms. It's all, what should we do with our resources? We should take them some from these people and give them to this thing. We should take this and fund that. We should do blah, blah, blah. We should force employers to do X, Y, and Z. We should raise the wage from this to that. We should have health care by taking this, and we should provide that. That's all a managed farm. If that's your mentality and if you're getting bogged down in those details, you are already a farm animal and you're not in my group. And and I, I don't mean like I don't want to talk to you or shun you. I just mean we're not on the same page ideologically. We are going for two different goals. Your goal is a managed farm that works really well, a nice managed farm. And my goal is actual freedom it's more we're in the wild and we can cooperate together now i think my goal is more in line with how with the goals of the founding fathers and how this country was formed there are exceptions to that of course but it doesn't really matter the fact is there are there is a group of people who actually want freedom and i would count those as it's everyone from anarchists to libertarians and I think they, this is why I, even though I'm an anarchist, it's why I get along with libertarians. We have the shared goal of freedom. They believe that the right way to preserve that freedom is to have some apparatus of a state which protects individual rights and is very minimalist. You know what? I'd love to argue that. I'd love for that to be the argument. If that, if politics were about, we all agreed on that and we were arguing about, you know, I was saying we shouldn't have the state do this thing and they were saying we should have the state protect rights in this way. That would be a wonderful conversation to have. I would enjoy politics at that point. And I might disagree with them, but, you know, I wouldn't feel like there was no hope and that the the country was just devolving into authoritarianism. But as it happens, that's not the conversation. People that are willing to have that conversation are relegated to a few tiny sections of Twitter and, you know, maybe the, the American Redoubt. The, there's not many places like this. And I just have a message to the farm people, the people who want to be farm animals. I get it. I get that it's. I get that you want to be kept safe and comfortable from 
from mommy or daddy state. I get that. And I get that you think that you own part of my productive labor and you own part of everyone else's productive labor and that your vote should matter with respect to what someone else does with their money. I get that. A great place for you to go would be China. China has done a great job building a tax farm. They are, yes, they're authoritarian, but they have done a great job of figuring out just enough freedom to make people feel so that they're still productive and produce a good amount of goods, a good amount of milk and eggs for the farm uh, without really having any real freedom. And a lot of people there are content with that. They're content with being part of an authoritarian government that takes down messages from WeChat if they contradict the government narrative. They're happy with rules uh, from you know, little pissant mayors who have political connections telling them what businesses they can and can't do and who they have to hire and what they have to charge. They're comfortable with the idea that the government will send armed men to basically sit in their company and help manage it once they get big enough because after all, you don't really own anything. They're comfortable with that. That's the life that those people want. If that's what you want, please move. Just go somewhere else. Every other country on earth is more like that than America is. So America is the last place that anyone who cares about freedom has. And we're losing it. And I'm not sure that we'll keep it for much longer. Best case is we keep maybe part of it. Maybe... Maybe some of us get to keep part of it. But when I look at the Democratic debates, this is why I don't get too involved in politics. When I look at the Democratic debates, that's what I see. I see a bunch of cattle. I see a bunch of farm animals arguing about how their farm's going to be managed. That's not America. It's not the America I want, and it's not the America other freedom lovers want. That's the end of my rant. Sorry there's no carry today. I'm sure she'd argue with me about some of this. Have a good day, everyone. We will return for Kofefi tomorrow. And as I, as I said earlier, if you like the show, please don't forget to like, share, subscribe. And you can contribute by going to unsafespace.com, and you'll see options for donating and for buying merch. Thanks. Have a great day.